the optimal life. Karen, how are you? Hi there, Nate. How are you today? You're smiling. You're, you look so joyous today. Is that how you are every day? Is that is that what makes a leader just a good smile and a, and a good personality? Well, if that's the case, then I have it in spades. I should be a trillionaire at this rate. <laughs> Talk to us. You've done a lot of research. How do you research 10,000 people to determine what makes a good leader? That's a great question. You leverage your networks very well. Let me just say, um, as you can tell, I'm very chatty and over the chart extrovert. And I have a huge network. And um, when I was in corporate, my corporate life, I was mostly with enterprise level companies. And so I was able to you know, make a ton of friends and colleagues. And so when I went on my own to start my own firm, I definitely leveraged those relationships and got into companies big and small um, when we were doing the research. Is there one trait across from all your research, all those thousands of leaders that you examined, is there one trait that they all share in common? And if there is, what is it? Yes. And you're not going to like the answer, but I'm going to say they all have an X factor, which is almost one of those unidentifiable traits that you know a superstar or someone that's really great at what they're doing, but you can't quite put your finger on how to describe it. That's what they all seemingly have in some way, shape or form. They have the it factor. The it factor, the it, X factor, you name the factor, it. The they it have factor. it. <laughs> I think what you're saying is they have a, a certain aura about them. It's a, It's an intangible. It is. So, but I will say to get, you know, pull back the layers of the onion a little bit, I will say that they also have um, a certain area of knowledge or specialty that their personal brand has been associated with. So the, either they're a superstar in sales or accounting or, um, you know, they're a great influencer of beer products, you know, you name it. Um they usually have an, a deep area of specialty that others admire uh, to the point that they're willing, um, they've built a lot of trust and they're willing to follow, you know, what they're doing and what they're saying. What's your definition of leadership? So my definition of leadership is, <laughs> it's a great question. There's so many out there, but my personal definition of, of leadership is um is causing an an act well doing an activity with the intent of causing an action of some sort so when you're leading you're actually um doing some sort of action yourself in order to encourage others to follow you or gain buy-in to what you're trying to do. If you're not doing any type of action to do that, then you're just kind of, um, you know, satisfying your own, in, you know, your own interests in, in yourself. You know, you a leader has, you're not a leader unless you have some sort of followers or people that um, want to join you on the journey that you're crafting out. So inspiring others, I think, is the simple Inspiring word. others to act, I guess. Inspiring is others to act. Yes. <laughs> Let me ask you, can you determine if somebody is a leader by the way that others react when he or she walks into a room? It can give you some great initial clues 
um, to look at, but I wouldn't say you'd be able to sum them up a hundred percent by the way they walk into the room. Cause there are, are some, some people that have some great, what I call um, executive presence or grit or charisma. But then when you, you know, actually listen to what they're trying to do or lead or say, you may find a lot of flaws in that. So the, it is important and it, and it gives you some initial clues, but it's not the end all be all. I was watching a scene from Yellowstone last night. I don't know if you've watched that. Uh, no, no. I heard it's extremely popular right now. I'm trying to get it's, through Yellow Jacket. It's incredible. It's incredible. It and it just struck me because I knew we were having this conversation today and it struck me. Kevin Costner walks in. This is the uh, end of season three, beginning of season four, I think. Yeah. And he walks into the the area where some of the guys that work for him the on the family ranch, they, they live in this bunkhouse. And when he walks in, they turn the TV off or they turn the TV down. Everyone stops all the silliness that they're doing. They put their cards away. They, you could just, it's just uh, the way that people react. And cause he, they all love him. They all respect him. Right. And um, sometimes I've, I've thought to myself, that's interesting. You can tell that Kevin, if you watch just this scene, you yeah. know, everything you need to know about this man's leadership skills because of the way could. that they reacted to him. But you know what, Nate? Listen to what you said. You said they knew him. They respected him. That means that there were some actions or activities or things that he had done previous to that scene that made them admire him and made mm. and they just his presence and knowing his history as a leader and then his presence when he walked in the room just probably tripled the effect. Right. That's spot on. <laughs> That's spot on. So how did you get involved in this space, Karen? Yeah, that's a great question. So I will say um, I started, believe it or not, from early childhood, because I've always been fascinated about people who were doing big things. You know, um, my parents surrounded themselves with a lot of big leaders in the local community and um, and they were leaders themselves. So I was inspired from an early age. But throughout um, my educational career and then my corporate career, um, I've always been fascinated with the people side of business and what made some people more successful than others. And so fast forward that to my last big gig in corporate, I um, worked at Microsoft and helped to lead their global high potential leadership program, which was the top 3% ranked leaders in the whole company. And we were in charge of developing them and getting them ready for the next role. And at the time, this was before star performers and all that was really popular. I was able to collaborate with other big companies who were also going deep in this space on um, how to empower uh, their star performers in their companies. So I got to be with some um, some great think tanks, um, got to do um, our own research. We we had um, many meetings with other key companies, and I just fell in love with the space. So um, when I decided to hang uh, my own shingle out, initially I was a solopreneur and it ended up now being over about 250 plus people. But as a solopreneur, I wanted to go deep on leadership and I wanted to um, spend time for those who were passionate about bringing big impact to the world, whether it's in their businesses or at their employers. And so one of the 
what I realized that companies really did a good job of teaching basic leadership skills, like creating a vision or uh, negotiation or building strong teams. But what they failed to do was that I call that last mile. How do you help them take the skills that they've learned that you taught them and infuse them into their everyday lives? And if they don't do that great, then the impact they have is going to be limited. So that's what ended up inspiring me to do the research study on um, what separated those who were able to make big impact. What did they do, actually do, physically do to do that? And so that's what what commissioned the research uh, study. And that's uh, what we learned a lot about. So talk to us about that. And I believe that ties into your top seven leadership tactics that yes. will enable <laughs> people to quote unquote, lead at the top of your game. Lead at the top of your game. Absolutely. So let's go through some of those. those. Okay. Seven. So quickly. So just yeah. a few disclaimers really quick. Um, first of all, we identified over a hundred different activities or tactics, but there was a, when we studied the data, there was a clear line of demarcation in the top seven. And what was also interesting is these seven apply no matter your career stage or uh, what industry you were in. So we thought, hey, we could double down on these top seven. That would give a lot of folks insights on how to be most successful. So here are the quick seven real quick. Uh, The first one is um, successful leaders were able to lead with intellectual horsepower. And that's all about taking the your great knowledge that you have already. But looking around the corners and seeing what trends are coming up in your area, industry, market or what have you. So it's like using your brain power. Really big. So you can't you can't you can't have the blinders on. You can't have the blinders on. No, <laughs> not if at all. Want, always if have you to want be to be able to meet watching. that first one, yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> so having the vision, being able to plan ahead, look forward, recognize threats, recognize opportunities, those kind of things. Spot on, Nate. Spot okay. on. Okay. Uh, The second one, um, those individuals led with courageous agility and courageous agility is all about having the courage and the fortitude to stand up for what you believe in. If even if the future is unclear, if you're not sure what's going to happen. So standing your ground and having the courage to convince others. What's an example that comes to mind for that one? Honestly, I mean, you know, a hot one that's been in the news is around the banking industry, you know, uh, Symptoms of their red flags that happen um, at companies or in banking where operations may not be going too well and people, you know, want to do the whistleblower, be a whistleblower, but um, sometimes they're fearful, but sometimes whistleblowing is the right thing to do in order to save the business or company or bank. So that's Mm. an example. Okay. So standing, standing up for what you believe in. Okay. Yep. The third tactic was um, leading with strategic decision-making, and that's kind of common sense, but it's all about either making good decisions yourself or leading a good decision-making process with your team. Now, what if you'd make a bad decision? Is a bad decision better than no decision at all? It depends on the situation, but usually if you make a, a bad decision or a misstep, as long as you take learnings from that and and pivot and course correct, you usually can turn that into a positive. You know what I like to say, Karen, if you lose but learn, you win. You win. I love that, go. Nate. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Number three was strategic, uh, strategic yeah. thinking. Okay. 
The number four was they also led with intrapreneurship. So intrapreneurship is very similar to entrepreneurship. But entrepreneurship is um, about finding ways to constantly improve product services or processes within the organization. And the difference between the two of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship means you're working um, within a system, within a business or an entity or an employer. And so you have a resources at your beck and call. And entrepreneurship, most times people are flying by their seat of the pants trying to establish the business. So that's the difference. Now, you mentioned system, and I know you mentioned it in more in a global way. But yeah. in terms of the individual businesses themselves, corporations, yeah. businesses, et cetera, how important are systems and processes? Oh, my gosh. You live and die by those. Um, now, you always have to have a bit of flexibility and agility in how you carry out your business processes and strategies, but you need to have them in order to you know, implement, measure, and know where you need to course correct. So mm. it is just life or death for businesses. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so four was entrepreneurship. How about number five? Five is leading with a drive for results. So that is all about being very tenacious to get to your end goal, even if you have to pivot along the way. So most of the um, high-performing leaders were find, found a way to, to achieve or get very close to achieving what they were trying to do or lead or take the charge for, if you will. Um, they found a way to do it, but it did involve a lot of pivoting many times because nothing's ever perfect in life, unfortunately, especially work life. No doubt. Okay. How about six? <laughs> six is leading with executive presence. And the way we define that is um, being able to make clear and convincing either oral or written presentations in order to convince or influence others. So it does involve all those intangibles like emotional intelligence and grit and savvy. But at the end of the day, executive presence also means you're be able, you're able to take all those personality traits and influence those you're trying to to target so whether it's your bosses your target market if you open a if you own a business um the end goal is to convince others to take action which was you talked about the definition of leadership when we started the podcast yes and you mentioned written and oral communications but also how how important are, are potentially the nonverbal communications they're very important as well. No, absolutely. Um, that's you, know, you have, a, C you have a, a CEO or a team leader sitting in the room, biting their nails and, and uh, slouching in their chair and, and rolling their up, eyes, rolling their eyes and looking at their phone <laughs> while somebody else is speaking. Right. Those are important yes. things, too. They, they are. You're spot on. Yeah. You get an A plus, Nate. Well, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to impress you, Karen. I want to get on your <laughs> you're doing a great job. <laughs> How about the last one? Number seven. Okay. And the last one, um, the most successful leaders were able to lead with what we call stakeholder savvy. And stakeholder savvy is kind of the sister um, competency to emotional intelligence, but it's all about um, knowing the people that you're interacting with and changing and adapting your behavior based on the situation at hand. So for instance, if you're you know, a sales rep, you may act, behave, and 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 talk differently to people when you are in an informal social setting 
But then when it's time to seal the multi-million dollar deal, then you might put your professional hat on and start negotiating and getting down, you know, to brass tacks. So that those people who are able to be fluid and adjust in those situations were the most successful. And That's those beautiful. are the seven. That's beautiful. Yeah. So of all those things, all these different leaders, and you've been studying this and you work with this every single day. Yes. What's a common thing that you see, uh, again, this is generally speaking, where, where people that are leaders or want to be leaders, is there a common area, though, where they seem to more often fall short than not? Yes. Yeah. So I will say that almost all leaders suffer from some sort of level of imposter syndrome at times. That even though they're they're great in their functional technical area, and even though they may have a, a good level of acumen in all seven, the story that they tell themselves in their head sometimes overwhelms them and they need reassurance or need a thought partner to talk it out or need to get some kind of gumption to move mm. forward. I've taught many of a leader off the ledge, believe you <laughs> me. But yeah, um, once they're able to move past that, um, then usually they're able to achieve a great deal of success. That's interesting. So dig into that a little bit more. When somebody's dealing with that inner critic yes. and they're, they're, they don't believe they belong, yeah. How do you help them? What are you doing to help them change that mindset? Well, you know, it depends on the situation. Uh, there's one client recently that's top of mind for me. Um, they were tapped on the shoulder to actually present a major presentation to a private equity firm that was cons their board of directors who's considering acquiring the company. Well, they had no experience with private equity firms. They were nervous about having that type of presentation. They've made presentations before, but this was, you know, has high stakes. And so they wondered if they were the right people that should be in the room because the future of that acquisition depended upon it. And so well, that's a pretty you, high pressure cooker situation. It would, is, but it's realistic, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, go ahead. <laughs> so we just kind of walked through it. We talked about worst case scenario, what's going to happen. I always say anything short of murder, we can course correct. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's doing a little bit of role play. It's talking about what's the worst case scenario. It's talking about what's the priorities that your target audience wants to know and learn there's a reason why they set you, them up for that meeting. So let's get to what they need to know and make sure we lead the messaging with that so that they are bought in early on in the discussion. And that opens the door for more rich discussion once he got the you know main points out. So um, the person ended up doing great, but we yeah. just had to talk through it. Yeah. It's amazing how the anticipation is 99% of the time worse than the act itself. You're right. right? It's just everything. We're always anticipating. I just had this conversation uh, on my podcast yesterday uh -huh. where people hate public speaking. Yeah. Nobody likes public speaking. I mean, it's like the terrifying. But you, once you get up there and you start going, you go, okay, you calm down a little bit. The heart yeah. stops racing. You, it, it gets better. So it gets better. Anticipation is, <laughs> is something. I don't know. What, why, why is that, though, Karen? What do you think that is? Why, why do we have that inner voice that tells us we don't belong. What is causing the the doubt? I, you know, I'm not quite sure about that. I'm sure there's something in the, in neuroscience that would lead to that. I always talk about the, you know, 
uh, fight or flight syndrome, you know, where, you know, when we were cave people, you know, we had an instinct to stay safe and stay in a safe area and, and uh, reduce our risk out there in the wilderness. But that's just me thinking. I'm not quite sure, but I will say we all have it. So any, all your listeners out there, don't think you're the only one who's ever nervous or uh, or right. uncertain about right. that. Or, or when you see it. the when you see the, the person that looks like a, a tremendous leader, and maybe they are, mm-hmm. don't think that that person doesn't have doubts as well. Exactly. Right. Because exactly. that person looks like, oh, I don't have a care in the world. Meanwhile, they've been anxious for the last week (laughs) (laughs) they felt no different than you did they just if you were to go get up there they're not going to know that you were anxious for the last week that's true right it's (laughs) it's really incredible talk to us briefly here about what's this high potential and leader development high potential h h i p o oh yeah hypo yeah that's the, the nickname the acronym for high potential leader that's actually kind of a designation for those of you all that are people leaders or you're in human resources, that is that common term that is used to categorize the top uh, stack rank leaders in the organization. And usually they're the ones who have been deemed on succession slates to be next in line to take on the next big roles within the company. Um, They are those critical people that have to be on the safety boat if the boat sinks. So those are the ones we want to make sure are to keep the uh, the employer or the business going strong. So those people, how do you keep them engaged as you're trying to run an organization? Yeah. And you see that these people are the next in line. They're the ones, God forbid, something happens to somebody. Somebody has to step up. Right. Do you have to actively engage in this leadership development on the daily, weekly, monthly? How does that work? Every day on a, on a daily basis. But the how is what's critical. You, I advise leaders to uh, treat their high potentials as almost a, a leader of one. Sometimes when people are doing so great, we we don't spend a lot of time with those. We're spending a lot of time with those who are underperforming. But those who are your high performers, you actually do need to touch base and stay in touch with them quite frequently as well. You won't have to spend as much development time, but you should um, ask them and have rich conversations with them about where do they need support? Um, how can you best help Um or can they you all brainstorm together to see what it would take to prepare them for you know the next role that they're targeting so as long as you keep having those check-ins with them usually that's enough to be keep them you know pretty motivated and as long as you're you know paying com- um competitively and have great benefits and things like that usually yeah. you're able to retain them but if you ignore them and think that they can figure it out on their own that's when you start to lose them mm. You also talk about building an impeccable leadership brand. <laughs> yes. You could be the greatest leader in the world, but if nobody knows about it, that's that, that true. Could be an issue too. So talk to what exactly does this mean building a, a leadership brand? Yeah. So we all have, you know, personal brands, whether we like it or not, people know us for one thing or another, either being quiet and they'll know that much about you or, um, Maybe it's in your area of specialty that people have gotten to know you for to be the go-to person for. What is critical is that if you really want to be a strong and influential leader, to your point, Nate, they've got to know what you're bringing to the table. So as you um, identify your, you know, your area of specialty, as you implement some of these seven tactics that came out of the research, you would become known um, for 
your specialty and delivering it very well. And so once you do that, naturally out of just the day-to-day activities that you do, you will begin to start transforming your personal brand into a leadership brand. And there's a certain bit of responsibility that comes around that as well um, that we t- sure. we help coach people through because uh, it's hard to be a leader, to be it honest is. with you. You're the target that everybody can point at. <laughs> but one, one of the things I well. think that people, Karen, also get confused with or or misinterpret or misunderstand <laughs> is that they think that by being a leader, they need to be the one doing all the talking. Correct. Isn't yeah. that an issue that you see across the board quite a bit? It's like, you, no, no, no. You don't have to do all no, the talking. You're a facilitator of the conversation, mm-hmm. not the one that has to do all the talking. And nine times out of 10, the people you're talking to are going to have better ideas than you anyway, if you surrounded yourself with, you know, great, great folks. So you're and, so and letting smart. those people take the credit for it. Yeah. Even makes you that much elevate you again. Oh, yes, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, shockingly different leadership. This is the name of your company. Yes. You said you went from a solopreneur to now over 200 employees. Is that what I heard? Yes. Yes. Aaron, you're a busy person. You, you did think? say that when we first started. <laughs> wow. Think? How do you go from one person when you hang up, hang up the, the shingles or whatever that you said, uh-huh. to now over 200 employees? Well, you know, we're not a McKinsey or any like the big four or anything like that. But um, about mm, two years, two and a half years into the business, <clears throat> um, because of my a network, it I started ended up getting asked to to lead like major projects where it was going to take more than just me to get it done effectively on time and under budget. So that's when I worked with my own business coach to decide, okay, well, do we really want to stay a solopreneur type of organization or do you want to grow a business where, you know, you bring others along? And so we decided to do the latter. And so now we place people on projects. Um, We are, um, we consult either these are we're mostly on the strategic side of business. So usually our projects are anywhere from three to six to nine months in length. And we have project teams that are, you know, working with organizations on whatever they're doing. Like maybe they're doing a realignment, maybe they're doing a major change effort, maybe they would love some uh talent development. Um, so whatever it is they need, we put the right folks on them and on the project and execute. And a lot of that is on the HR side, correct? That is kind yes, of yes. We're mostly about. on the HR side of business. Yes. Right. What's a what's a, a common challenge? Again, some of these are very general. It's hard to just yeah. pinpoint one. But what's a common challenge that you see workplaces dealing with when it comes to human relations or human resources? Well, right now, believe it or not, Nate, they're still struggling with the whole remote and hybrid work. Um, concept. They understand it, but there is tension right now between employees really not wanting to work five days in the office and employers really wanting them back in. And I was just, you know, watching the news this morning and they had a a story on that. Um, They were um, validating that tension is continuing um, even, you know, a, a year past pandemic or two, however long we are, a year, year and a half past pandemic. Right. So that's a, a big issue that's going on right now. And what are you guys doing? How do you intervene? What are you suggesting? You know, 
it that's tough. It, it's part of the company culture. You, the companies are going to have to make a decision on what's right for them. Uh, but they also have to balance that with being competitive in the market because there are quite a few companies that still are allowing remote and hybrid work. So you should know that if you're looking for a top-notch individual who is not willing to go back into the office, you risk as an employer um, not being you know, number one on their list, but you balance that um, with what you're needing for your company and company culture to be successful. I mean, I, when I, when the pandemic first happened, one of our clients was a call center where they had no infrastructure for running a call center outside of the uh, main office, but they had to quickly build it or they were going to go down in flames. So being that agile and figuring it out is something that, you know, all companies are having to do right now. Well, I saw when the pandemic was in its hot phase, the employer had very little leverage. The employee had all the leverage, right? The pendulum (laughs) is all over here. And now the pendulum has swung back to the other side. degrees. Right. And and the employers now are saying, because people that just want to work from home, I get the remote work thing. It is very nice. It's flexible. You want that flexibility depending on the job and the situation. Correct. But there's a lot of people that quote unquote work from home and they're out walking the dog. They're going to the grocery store. They're playing on the phone. It's a different experience for a lot of these folks. You know, you're right. Oh, there are folks that are abusing that. But I will say, even before the pandemic, when I was working in corporate, out of my, what, 20 years in corporate, 17 out of those 20, I technically worked from home because I traveled so much across the globe. But um, but it's I had a personal sense of responsibility I, I work more than my eight hours a day constantly, but that was what I did in exchange for that flexibility. So well, Karen, I think you're, Karen, you're comparing yourself, the solopreneur who's worked <laughs> in corporate America for Microsoft, leading a team of people, creating her own business and now having 200 people working with for her. You're yeah. talking about you. Yes. There are plenty of <laughs> yous out there that are going to do the right thing. You have to act responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there are, but there's also those other folks where you're like, Hey, why don't you want to be here with, with that's right. You're right. Well, it makes you scratch your head. Why don't now listen, <laughs> there are certain jobs where you can't. I mean, medical, right. if you're in manufacturing, like our business, the, the guys, you can't make products from home. You got to be at no. the facility running machines. That's right. Um, so, but, but, you know, for other ones where it's like, why, why are you hiding away? You don't seem to be hiding away when you're with your friends the weekend. You're going That's out to the right. restaurants and the bars. <laughs> right? You're so, so right. It's, uh, it's an and interesting. That's why you, when you have to get a comfort level with your people um, that you trust that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But you're right. There's some businesses and industries where you got to be present, physically present and on site. And they just have to, you know, deal with that. Shockinglydifferent.com. That's your website. We've linked it here in the show notes. Anywhere else you want people to find you online, social media, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I live on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter uh, as well. Uh, do have We do have presence on Instagram, um, a little bit on Facebook, but you can always find uh, me at the website and or on LinkedIn. That's the quickest way. Beautiful. Well, really appreciate connecting with you. Love the insight. Continued success. Really happy to connect. Oh, thank you. Much success to you and your listeners as well. Thanks for having me.